You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy. Welcome to the Sports Therapy Association podcast. My name is Matt Phillips, I'm the creator of Bunch at Live, and as always, host of this marvellous podcast, I say so myself, which is recorded live on a Tuesday at 8 o'clock on the Sports Therapy Association YouTube channel. Um, it is recorded live, so if you do, if you listen to podcasts and you want to come and join us and have a chance to put questions to the guests kind of online face-to-face, then you're welcome to do that. You don't have to be an STM member. Just come along to the Sports Therapy Association YouTube channel any Tuesday. We've done it for 141 weeks in a row now. And you can join us. It's a good way of networking. When you do ask a question, then I can bring your comment or question up onto the screen with your wonderful face. Uh, first person through the door tonight in the live lounge is Mr. Glenn Murphy. Um, what a stoic photo going on there, Glenn. I love that every time I see it. And he says, good evening, everybody. Um, and it's a good chance to just to mix with other therapists. Okay, and often there's regional reps in the STA, so you can have a little chat in the background about uh, what's going on in your area. Nikki Mansfield is through the door, uh, a close second there. Evening people, happy spring equinox to you all. Very nice, um, indeed, spring equinox, he said, taking the name, that is it. So there we go, that's, uh, that's, what, that's what we do. Um, this month is Focus on the Lower Back. In the last episode, which is obviously available on all popular podcast apps, including Spotify, it's also on YouTube if you want to watch the video, it's also uh, at the STA website, which is the sta.co.uk. Um, so, yeah, in the last episode, my guest was Owen Lewis, who is co-founder of Born to Move Education Providers, along with James Earls, author of Born to Walk. Um, he shared his insight last week into the 2020 BJSM paper, Back to Basics, 10 Facts Every Person Should Know About Back Pain. Um, it's been very nice feedback for that. It's, it's marvellous because in my bubble, I kind of presume that everyone's seen that, and that's the problem with social media, because if you follow certain people and you're in certain lists, then everyone in your group has seen it. So sometimes you presume that these really useful editorials like that one um, has been seen, and it hasn't. And it's such a great summary of where you should probably aim to be. Um, you might not agree with every point. You might have little variations on it. And it was interesting to hear Jay, um, Owen Lewis's interpretations, but it's a pretty good up-to-date look at where we should be with regards to tobacco. Um, if you want the link to that, just go to the show notes um, and you will see that. So it's a great episode, really recommend it. And thank you, Owen Lewis, once again, for giving up your time. Lower Back continues. I'm very excited tonight. Um, my guest is going to be very shortly Michelle Lyons, who is women's health physio and creator of CelebrateMuliebrity.com. We'll be discussing female lower back pain and the potential women's health factors we should be aware of when working with female clients. I think I've left Michelle now in the lobby for long enough and um, that there's no other housekeeping to do. So, yeah, without further ado, let's bring up Michelle Lyons. You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy. Hey, Michelle, how are you doing? Hey, Matt, how's it going? It's very good. Um, as I said off air, I think I actually I think I was a little excited when I said, "Oh, great, you're here! I'm so looking forward to this." But I am excited. You come very heavily recommended, and I'm really excited because you were introduced to me by um, Gwenya Donnelly and Emma Bockel, who I've had on the show before. Yes. I mean, it's just a lovely example of networking and talking to people and suddenly discovering other great individuals. So, thank you very much. 
Well, big shout out to, to Grania and Emma. They're doing amazing work on, on a number of different levels, uh, particularly with female athletes. And you know what? I'm really proud to call them both colleagues and friends. So I'm, I'm delighted to be here. Oh, well, that's great to hear. And um, I'm, for people listening to the podcast, they can probably tell that there's a slight Irish thing going on there as well <laughs> with yourself. Is that is that fair to say? A slight Irish thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I am. I'm, I'm coming to you uh, live from the Irish Midlands this evening. It's a, okay. it's a wet and windy one here. So I'm hoping the Internet gods are kind to us. But I looked at your bio and you've actually spent a lot of time in the States. Is that true? Yeah, we, um, my husband is from the States and we lived there for years and um, right up through the end of, oh gosh, 2019, um, I was going back and forth to the States once a month, twice a month um, to teach. So I teach a lot of postgrad courses on, on pelvic health, um, but basically all aspects of women's health. Um, my career started out in sports medicine. I worked with uh, one of Ireland's top uh, football teams and I thought that was going to be the path. Uh, for me. So, you know, I worked really closely. I was the head of the rehab team. We had some excellent massage therapists. We had nutritionists. We we had all the bells and whistles. And then um, after my own obstetric adventures, I realized that postnatal women were just really poorly served in terms of pelvic health, but also just in terms of understanding how, you know, changing hormonal statuses and changing life uh, pivots you know, whether that's menstrual or maternal or menopausal changes, how that really will affect all of our systems, particularly um, musculoskeletal. So that's kind of been my passion project since, you know, for over the past 20 years. And I'm, I'm lucky enough that as well as seeing clients, uh, I also get to travel and teach and learn and, and chat to all these brilliant people all over the world. And um, it's, it's great when doing what you love becomes your job. So I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm nerdy about women's health. It's, it's what I do for fun as well as for work. That's lovely to hear. And I think probably people involved in sports massage and massage therapy kind of can, can, can associate with that because mm. if you, if you enjoy rubbing oil into hairy men's backs for a living, then there's a certain amount, I think everyone could say of altruism there and, you know, the, the, the need to actually help think it makes a difference to people's lives. So yeah, hopefully people can relate to that. It's lovely to hear. Um, your website, I need to, the, the, I had a couple of emails to me, um, which I, I'm glad I wasn't the only one. Let's just bring up your website so I'll make it clear. People can still hear you whilst we've got this uh, on yep. the screen. People. So we've got Michelle Lyons, beautiful website, by the way. We don't get the uh, the animation happening here, but it's a wonderful website. Congratulations to you or your designers, whoever did that. Lovely who it is. And it's called Celebrate Muliebrity. And oh, I think, honestly, I did get a couple <laughs> of emails going, Matt, really looking forward. Thanks so much for uh, including blah, blah. And uh, yeah, what? By the way, what is Muliebrity? Um, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, I had to look it up, but I, I love that. Um, yeah, I the art and state of being a woman. The art and state of being a woman. Yeah, it's very. It's, it's and once you know the word, it just rolls off your tongue wonderfully. Yeah. Well, the thing is that we know that you know, literally, only six percent of all the sports science research is done exclusively on females. So for a long time, everything that we knew about back pain, about any medical issue was, well, we'll look at men as the norm and then we'll just give women a slightly smaller dose of that. And of course, it doesn't work like that because our anatomy is different. Physiology is different. Hormones are different. Um, you know, our pelvic floors are different. Um, so there's a lot of, of changes that we need to be aware of. It's not just one size fits all. 
And that's, I think, what can really elevate all of our professions if we're, we're able to go that little bit deeper and, you know, and ask somebody that we're seeing for, for back pain, you know, a little bit more about some issues about their pelvic health, about maybe their menstrual or maternal, as I said, or menopausal uh, journeys. And just to be able to think, okay, well, could that be a player in their back pain? You know, is the issue all in the tissues or are we going to step forward into this brave new world of, of a biopsychosocial approach to back pain, which is where the evidence really seems to be taking us for, for good outcomes? That would be wonderful for our listeners to hear. Um, and if you listen to the podcast and you're not fully aware of what the implications are of the biopsychosocial model, then it's something you're going to hear quite a lot on the podcasts. Um, it is a model. It can be used badly. It's not, uh, again, it's not a book of how to do things black and white. But um, yeah, something you will definitely see a few times and you can look back at previous episodes and you'll see in the show notes it mentioned time and time again. Um, but yeah, a lot of research on lower back pain is brought up, as you say, yeah, that's that same, um, the same practice that we can't just look at the tissues as other factors as well to take into consideration. Exactly. Marvellous. Um, I've got a comment here from Leslie Campbell. Um, and feel free to ask questions, guys, straight away. I've given Michelle permission to jump in if you ask questions to bring up the screen. Leslie Campbell says, on my hit list to do Michelle's menopause course. Ooh, Leslie, it's Soma... good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> and Soma Sports Massage Therapy has gone ditto. Well, so, if yeah, you're STA members, we have a treat for you. <laughs> it's true. Well, you can get that out of the way now if you like, so, yeah. so we don't forget it. We'll set the so yeah, STA members have got, what's their treat? STA members are going to get 20% off any of my courses after this podcast. So um, I'm going to give Matt all the details and you can contact him. So he gets to do all the legwork. Um, but yeah, if you're if you're a verified STA member, uh, we're going to organize a 20% discount on any of the courses. So whether it's women in back pain or the female hormonal health course or breast cancer, whatever your, your uh, specialty is, or indeed all of them, of course. But um, yeah, no, my goal is really just to, to spread the word about women's health, to help women live well, but actually primarily to help the people who help women live well. Um, and it's, it's really, it's, it's something that's very central to my ethos is that, you know, a multidisciplinary uh, approach is best. Um, and we all have things that we learn from each other. And I am, I'm, I'm a collector. I'm like a little magpie collecting different skills over the years. So massage and body work has been a huge part of my evolution as a physio, um, as well as things like yoga and Pilates and nutrition and health coaching, because, you know, there's a whole person attached to that spine or that pelvis. And we really have to be able to, to recognize where the big drivers are coming from. So it's just all about keeping the conversation moving forward. That's great. That's excellent. Um, and, and already there's celebration going on in the live. And that's very <laughs> kind of you. <laughs> very kind of you. Uh, see, people, that's 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 the that's the reason to listen to the podcast, because I don't think we'll put it somewhere else. It'll just be for podcast listeners. But you do need to be an SDA member. But if you yeah. want details, it's not. I'll tell you what it's it's worth. I can pretty much well, I can't guarantee it, but you'll find that STA membership is probably cheaper than the 20% you're going to save on the course just for this course but then all the other oh. courses so look into it uh, and in our case cheapness doesn't mean poor quality it's just you know like Michelle has said this is a we're a non-profit organization the STA and we're just trying to help experts like Michelle get um, the, the good information out there and the quality CPD out there so um, so much sports massage therapy has come back with sounds amazing thank you Michelle <laughs> STA box two well, we can have a group hug soon, I think. Take a pause. <laughs> a lot of love in the room tonight. Anyway, so there we go. Thank you very much for that. Um, 
So great, yeah. So we are looking at lower back pain um, and we are going to try and, with your help, educate ourselves so that we have a little bit more to offer when female clients do come into our clinic, which we often obviously see a lot of. One could say it's probably over 50% of our clients are going to be female, depending on who we work with in our target audience. But And the fact that they are women introduces, as, as you're going to explain to us soon, a whole series of considerations, doesn't it, that um, we should keep in mind if we're truly going to be able to respect the fact they're women and not yeah. just a person walking through. Small men. There we go. Small <laughs> men. There we go. So Less you can start men. wherever you like. Yeah. What, what are, where should we start? Well, I think... I think what we have to do is, you know, um, I'm a nerd. So for me, you know, anything that we're going to talk about has got to have the research behind it. So what do we know about women and back pain? Well, we know, first of all, that when women have back pain, um, it's more to do with breathing issues, uh, bladder control and bowel health than it is to do with BMI or their level of activity. So we, we, we've got that in the bag since about 2014. There's been some big studies done on that. But more recently, other studies show that for females with back pain, 95% of them will have pelvic floor muscle dysfunction. Um, and over 70% of those people with pelvic floor muscle dysfunction will have um, overactive pelvic floor muscles. So you know, there's too much tension. They're, they're carrying too much of a load in there. So incorporating pelvic health awareness into sports massage therapy for folks with, for women with low back pain is really important. And there's a couple of different ways we can initiate the conversation because, look, I can only tell you when I was a baby physio, when I first graduated, um, and again, like super full on sports medicine, male and female athletes, um, and you're screening for, you know, back pain, you know, anything sinister going on there. And you have to ask the question. So anything, any problems with bladder and bowel? And I was the person there with their hands in her ears going, please say no, please say no, please say no. So we never have to talk about this again. Um, because, you know, it's still I mean, obviously, that was about 150 years ago that I qualified, but it's still a fairly taboo subject. And. What I think we have to do is work on making ourselves comfortable with the conversation and then we can make our clients more comfortable with with having that conversation as well. So it's about knowing the questions to ask and then, of course, knowing what to do with the answers to to build up a referral source if that's appropriate. But sometimes just, you know, you're the first person to ask me that will be what you hear Um, or asking if there's any relationship between their back pain and their period because for many women um, what they'll notice is their back pain gets worse in the second half of their cycle Um, and that's due to the rising effects of progesterone so that kind of adds on another layer well do you know enough about the menstrual cycle to ask those questions and then do you know what to do with the answers as well So for me, it's like putting on a detective hat when we're working with people uh, who have back pain. Okay, so what are the patterns that are that emerge, you know, and we used to talk about, you know, what aggravates, what eases. But we want to be able to go a little bit deeper, you know, and ask obviously questions about sleep and about stress. But are you having any leaking when you're coughing or sneezing? You know, how often are you moving your bowels? Um, you know, are you having any any problems with sex? 
Um, are you, did you have any falls, you know, maybe on your tailbone, any issues around, around there? Um, do you notice that your back pain changes throughout the month if you're still menstruating, if you're premenopausal? If somebody is postnatal, you know, um, maybe they had a C-section, you know, maybe they have a little bit of pelvic organ prolapse postnatally as well. Um, do you have any sense of heaviness or dragging in around the pelvis, um, particularly in around the vagina? And just, you know, what I can, you know, what we're, what I'm going to put together for the, for the folks here tonight is just a little checklist of questions that are going to make it easier. So I'll put all this all that we talk about, I'm going to pop it into a blog post at the weekend. And then again, I'll send it over to you, Matt. You get to do all the legwork. So people have a toolbox. We're not kind of throwing information at you and then leaving you hanging. But just really simple ways to start integrating awareness of what the pelvic floor does and what the pelvic floor does when it's having a problem and how that's related to back pain. So if we think about the pelvic floor as, you know, traditionally we, we think of it about this, uh, you know, as this hammock of muscles going from the tailbone to the pubic bone. Um, but there are three layers of pelvic floor muscles. So we've got two fairly superficial, uh, superficial layers of muscles. And those are primarily about opening and closing. So opening and closing the urethra, the vagina, the anus, um, whether that's for urination, uh, during penetrative sex, or having a baby or having a bowel movement, which hopefully everybody's doing daily. And then the deeper pelvic floor muscles are part of that kind of traditional core stability model. But instead of just telling everybody that they need to strengthen their pelvic floor muscles when um, they've got some back pain, what we're actually learning now from the research is that most back pain, we tend to see some overactivity, some overwork in those pelvic floor muscles. So we want to start thinking about how we can incorporate some pelvic floor down training and relaxation into our, our body work with people who are coming to see us for back pain. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a big believer in having, having good anatomical models around the place because another thing that I'm quite fond of saying is that most people know more about how their phone works than they do about how their own body works. And I think it can just be so empowering if you can bring out a model or even some pictures, some anatomical pictures and say, well, look, these pelvic floor muscles are at the base of your pelvis and they're important for sphincter control. They're important for stability in, in quote marks. They're important for sexual function. They're also important in our lymphatic system, but they're really important emotionally as well, because when we're stressed and when we're tense, the pelvic floor muscles also go into a little bit of an overactive mode as well. And we know that stress and anxiety and depression are not only important for the pelvic floor muscles, but they're also key players when it comes to back pain as well. So that's kind of zooming out big picture and then zooming in. What does that actually mean on, you know, on a, on a practical level? It means that when you're doing body work on somebody's low back pain, it's never just about the low back in low back pain. And um, particularly for women, we want to think about, OK, well, what can we do to add 
a bit of relaxation to the pelvic floor as we're doing our techniques to decrease tension and stress in the body and the brain, are there some specific cues that we can use to let, you know, to help the pelvic floor realize that it's safe to let go a little bit? And breath work is the first place I always go to with that. So we know that the diaphragm and the pelvic floor love to talk to each other. When we inhale, the diaphragm descends, um, you know, to suck air into the, into the thoracic cavity, into our lungs. And ideally, the pelvic floor should descend as well. And then as we exhale, we want the diaphragm to move back up into the thorax and the pelvic floor recoils back up a little bit as well. So just bringing awareness to that part of the body, you know, um, teaching people how to contract and relax, particularly their pelvic floor while they're, you know, on your table, while you're, you know, you're having a chat with them, just to bring that proprioceptive awareness to the pelvic floor is such a gift for most people because we're never really aware of our pelvic floor until something goes wrong with it. And for women, we know that cueing, opening and closing around the anus is actually going to give us the best global interaction of the pelvic floor. So a really simple cue would be take a deep breath in and then exhale and relax everything. Take another breath in. This time as you exhale, close your anus like you're trying to stop yourself passing gas, lift everything up and in and then let it go again on the next breath. And it might be the first time they've ever had somebody consciously cue their pelvic floor. But as they're lying there on their table, having their massage, you know, you can do some periodic check-ins, you know, how's your pelvic floor? Can you, can you soften it a little bit? And remembering that if they're carrying tension in the pelvic floor, they're probably carrying a little bit of tension in their jaws as well. So teaching them to relax their jaws, connect with the breath, drop the pelvic floor, you know, it's just, it puts the whole body together um, and let's go with some of that tension that can really be a perpetuating factor with a lot of persistent back pain. There's so much, there's so much there to, to unpack. It's, it's first of all, and, and as you were speaking, I was like making this list in my head. Um, it's lovely to hear is exactly what Owen Lewis said last week about how traditionally with, with, um, Paul Hodges paper with the transverse dominance and all that. Suddenly it was about contemporary Pilates. Said so yes, it's all about bracing that. And, and, and he reiterated what you said, which was what in a lot of cases with, with back pain, it's actually that those muscles need relaxing. And that kind of makes sense when you stop and think about it. Um, so it's wonderful to hear that reiterated from last week. Also, it's interesting as well, because you started off with something which seems to challenge traditional Pilates, which probably a lot of our listeners are, are used to, maybe they're training as well, because sometimes it goes hand in hand with massage. And I could I could imagine our listeners going, oh, my God, she's challenging everything. I'm not going to put anyone down on the floor again or get into any of these exercises. But then you twisted it and showed, no, 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 you're still going to have this person focusing. But you're just going to tweak the exercise slightly yeah. and just change it. Still use all your skills and that therapeutic alliance. And. So I'm hoping that listeners kind of notice that because a lot of the times it does feel like this idea that to become evidence informed, you have to throw everything away and start with a clean slate. And it's not that at all, is it? No, Cause, gosh, cause you no. You made it sound like you could do an awful lot in Pilates to help people with that pain as long as you tweak it slightly. So what we would see 
maybe 20 years ago when kind of, you know, the Paul Hodges work for, you know, first came out. And I think Pilates kind of really hit mainstream was it was all about tighten, 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 tighten and sucking the navel into the spine. And what we see, if we look at the research actually for yoga and Pilates teachers from about 20 years ago, was there was a really high incidence of pelvic floor dysfunction and bladder leakage in Pilates teachers. So interesting. What we see now is, again, as our as our learning evolves, as you know, as we said before, we started. There's a Maya Angelou quote: "When, we, when you know better, you do better." We absolutely want to still have strong, but flexible, and relaxed and functional pelvic floor muscles as part of a whole body. So that means that we don't just go from, say, one exercise to the next without letting go. Because, you know, if I have an elbow contracture um, and I can't move my elbow, I don't just keep squeak, squeak, you know, tighten, tighten, tighten. I really want to work back to this lovely, full, functional range of motion that's tension-free, that's pain-free, that's easy. Um, And the pelvic floor muscles, they are skeletal muscles. So they're striated muscles. And here's the thing. After the age of 35 we lose 2% of our sphincter muscles every year, women. Um, we don't have good research about male pelvic floors yet, but because you're not uh, coursing through life on an estrogen high, you're probably a little bit safer than we are. And plus you've got your prostates to hold everything together. Yeah, based on the other <laughs> line, that's a payback for that as well though, isn't there? Yeah, save it for another day. But for, for perimenopausal women, they're losing 2% of that's those uh, striated sphincter muscles every year. So strength training for every muscle for perimenopausal women is essential. It's non-negotiable. And that goes for the pelvic floor as well. But what we have to do is we want to make sure we're working the pelvic floor through a full range. And we start with a relaxed pelvic floor, we close and we lift, and then we relax it again. And we might even want to lengthen and bear down a little bit. So, you know, we've got this lovely concentric, isometric, eccentric range going on with the pelvic floor muscles. Um, and that's a really important message that we want, we want our pelvic floors to be fit for purpose. And we want women to exercise right throughout their life. Because we know we've research that came out towards the end of last year showing that for women, um, Pelvic floor dysfunction is a barrier for one in three women from exercising. And we know that cardiovascular disease is the biggest killer of women worldwide. So exercise is like super important when it comes to, to living a full, long, healthy life. So we really want to make sure that that back pain um, or pelvic floor dysfunction or some combination of those two is not a barrier for women exercising and enjoying their life. You know, it's it's really, it's about, again, just looking at the big picture, recognizing estrogen particularly is going to have different effects on the pelvic floor throughout those, you know, menstrual, maternal and menopausal transitions. Understanding a little bit of that, um, thinking about, yes, what's going on biomechanically, but also what's going on psychosocially. But a lot of it comes back to just bringing people back into their body again, teaching them coordination, reducing fear, reducing tension, 
and getting back to a good level of range of motion and strength, getting right back to basics again. Marvellous. Again, so much information in there is amazing. And it's, I, I liked the way you compared advice, which we freely give like about the elbow and you wouldn't do that. But then suddenly when we go to areas of the body, we're not so used to talking about or working with and then suddenly everything changes. It's like, why are you doing that for there? And how come you're not doing that for somewhere you're more comfortable talking about like the elbow? So yeah, some brilliant messages there. Um, some questions coming in. Becky Carroll, I've only just released my anus, I must admit. I was doing exactly <laughs> the same as you. Um, I was hoping that the creaking of the chair would have come out on my mic. It's quite expensive mic, so I'm glad um, that didn't come through. Um, but yeah, no, everybody was sitting there, obviously. Every time somebody talks about clenching, everyone's kind of rises up an inch in their camera and then they go down. Um, but yeah, we've got some other questions coming through. Thanks, Becky. Yeah, thanks for asking about that. Um, that's my body. Let's go. Becky Carroll says the amount of let's read a few of these out. The amount of females I see who have had C sections or hysterectomies without rehab shocks me. Is there any research suggesting this being a cause for lower back pain in women? Well, <laughs> there's a pitifully low amount of research on most issues that affect females exclusively, and that is just the the hard truth. There is some research. Um, I'm, I'm currently just preparing a conference presentation on hysterectomy. So there's some research looking at hysterectomies and back pain. Because when you have a hysterectomy um, and you take the, the uterus out, you're taking away a lot of the ligaments and connective tissue that support the, the pelvic organs as well. So it's not just about the pelvic floor holding everything up. We do have a lot of connective tissue in there as well. And that you know change in the real estate of the female female pelvis can cause some pelvic organ prolapse issues we definitely see an increase in uh, constipation which is a huge driver of female back pain so always important to ask about healthy bowel habits um and then if there's any restriction if they've had whether they've had an open hysterectomy or laparoscopic or vaginal we do tend to see a little bit of pelvic floor muscle dysfunction afterwards as well. Um, so when we look at the rates of hysterectomy, and it's a surgery, you know, that's often almost done casually. You know, you're done having children, so we might as well, you know, if you're having other issues. And I know you've talked about endometriosis already, and too many women are offered hysterectomy as a treatment strategy for endo. And it's not appropriate at all because the endometriosis is still there. But now you have to deal with the after effects of a hysterectomy, um, like heart disease and bone health and brain health, as well as the pelvic health implications. So I'm a big believer in advocating for women. Um, we know that about 20 percent of hysterectomies are unnecessary, unfortunately. And too many women are sent, you know, they go for their six-week checkup and away you go. We know it takes about three months minimum to fully recover from a hysterectomy. But particularly with women who've had a laparoscopic hysterectomy, they see tiny little incisions on the abdominal wall and think, oh, no big deal. But it's a major surgery that's happening internally. So it really does demand a multi-system approach. Um, to kind of, again, just to reestablish that relationship, first of all, between the diaphragm and the pelvic floor and the abdominal muscles. That's quite a powerful statistic. 20% of hysterectomies are unnecessary. Yep. Is that, is that kind of, is that discovered after the hysterectomy? Are you saying that at the extra time of deciding if they thought a bit deep or looked at different factors, they decide, actually, no, let's not do it. 
Yeah, because, um, you know, with those, that 20% of hysterectomies, a lot of them are done for pelvic pain diagnoses like endometriosis um, or even pelvic organ prolapse. Um, and, you know, there's some, there's some really interesting research coming in. Well, you know, even if the ovaries are left behind after a hysterectomy, there is a very high rate of premature ovarian failure. So women who have their hysterectomies before the normal age of menopause, you know, they really need to be having conversations about hormone therapy with their doctors as well. But too many women just just fall through the cracks and they end up becoming really restricted in terms of their movement, their exercise, just their joy in life. Some women do really well um, if the hysterectomy is for an appropriate cause, something like adenomyosis, where you have you know, infiltration of the lining of the uterus, but certainly not for endometriosis. I'd be, I'd have, I'd have quite strong feelings about that. Um, but are women being educated appropriately about the prehab and the rehab needed for hysterectomies? Um, and I would say in my experience, no. Um, I work with a lot of um, oncology patients, particularly pelvic oncology patients. And it's oftentimes after the cancer treatment has ended, um, because if you've got a gynae cancer, whether that's endometrial, uh, ovarian, vulvar, vaginal, cervical, hysterectomy is usually assumed that, that that's going to be the mainstay of, of one of the treatment arms. And it's often the after effects of the hysterectomy rather than the after effects even of chemo or radiation that women are more distressed about in the medium to long term. Um, so we really have to be aware that although it's a very common surgery, the effects are short, medium and long term with it. And I would always encourage anybody who's, you know, outside the realm of cancer, but, you know, always get a second opinion if hysterectomy is the first option being offered to you. Fascinating. Um, we did have a um, episode, episode 54, if you're interested in endometriosis, then um, STA member Deb Stolo-Roley, um, one of the, usually one of the presenters of the Women uh, Sports Therapy podcast um yeah there's a fascinating episode with deborah who suffer, uh, with Deb who suffers it for myself um um really lovely speaker so i encourage you to listen to that i think it's something which would be worth hearing i'm, I'm thinking that a lot of listeners the two and a half thousand or so we download are probably sitting there not knowing what endometriosis is and it's something which thanks to the discussions we've had we yeah. know that therapists or everybody should know more about because it's Definitely. far more common than it's talked about so could you give a little definition of what it is and why it might be connected to low back pain well it's just it's a particularly appropriate topic because march is endometriosis awareness month so okay. yes i'd be delighted to talk about it endometriosis is when tissue that is similar to but not the same as the lining of the womb grows outside of it usually within the pelvis, but it can go up to the diaphragm, it can go into the lungs, it can go down and plant around the sciatic nerve. And what happens is every month that the disease can, you know, can, can bleed and become inflamed and lay down scar tissue. So we think about endometriosis as having kind of, you know, the, the key sign is usually painful periods. And this is a message that I really want to get out that painful periods are not normal. Um, you should not be completely disabled by your menstrual cycle. A little bit of light cramping day one, day two, okay, but nothing that's going to disrupt your school or your, your work. 
So the endometriosis can start out as cyclical pain um, when you're having your, your menstrual period, but then the pain can become constant. Um, it's often misdiagnosed as irritable bowel syndrome or, or bladder pain syndrome or all in your head or just normal because, you know, it's periods are supposed to be painful, aren't they? And we also see problems then with painful urination, painful bowel movements, pain with sex, really disruptive to uh, fertility as well. Um, endofatigue is a thing, just, you know, it really can sap your energy. We see links with rheumatoid arthritis um, as well. So we can have some joint pain going on as well as back pain. Um, but it affects one in 10 women worldwide. So that's more than diabetes. And we think about how much research yeah. has been done on diabetes over the years. Endometriosis is, you know, if you know, basically, if you know 10 women, I will say if you know 10 people, because it is a disease that primarily attacks females, but it has been found in men as well. And, and of course, in trans men, but also in cis men. So it's rare, but it's real. But we are seeing it primarily as a female issue that's largely dismissed. It takes about eight years to get a, a correct diagnosis. And diagnosis is tricky because imaging doesn't always work. So a multimodal approach to managing endo is essential. We know the gold standard for treating it is laparoscopic excision with prehab that includes pelvic rehab, dietary stress management and exercise before surgery to lower the inflammatory load. You have the excision surgery, hopefully, and then you have rehab afterwards. Uh, but it's a whole person inflammatory disease. It should not just be managed long-term with oral contraceptive pills and painkillers. Um, but we do have a shortage of endometriosis specialists. And, um, you know, we really just need to acknowledge that it's a very significant disease that, that is disruptive, not only to many people's lives, but, you know, to the economy as well. If you have uh, girls and women missing school, university work each month, you know, it can really hold them back financially. Um, fertility, as I've said, is a, is a huge problem as well. Um, but, you know, we, we want to look at women beyond their, their childbearing capacity as, as real people who have lives too beyond fertility. So anybody who's having excessively painful periods, and I would say that means periods that's stopping you from doing your everyday activities, that really does need to get checked out. Yeah, that seems that the episodes we've had on women's health, um, that's a very important message. And I think it's an example, again, of how a massage therapist or a sports massage therapist, you're going to see a lot of people, you're going to be the first stay step which people go to if they're in pain, if they're stressed. Yeah. They want to get away for an hour because they're going to go for an hour with you as opposed to the 10 minutes to get the GP. They're going to lie down and they're going to think at least this hour I'm going to feel good because they will feel good because that's a massage. So, and a lot of women, sadly, probably because they're organized and seen by a lot of guys, believe that, yeah, it's just, that's my lot. It's, it's what well, they call it, the curse. It's just yeah. uh, that monthly thing and I just yeah. have to put up with it. So one word done with the normal empathy and, and education, which you know, massive massage therapist you probably developed, just to say, you know what? Maybe you shouldn't be putting up with this because I've heard and this and that and the evidence shows that you shouldn't. You should go to GP, be a bit more persistent yeah. and actually get it checked out. Because, I mean, the, the delay in diagnosis, I think, can be 
10, 8 to, eight to 10, 10, 10 years, years is the average, years, yeah. yeah, 8 to 10. Which is shocking. What that's a, a shocking... huge portion of your life, isn't it, that's gone? So sad. Yeah. So, and all your family around you and everything and the knock-on effect. So, so yeah, massage therapists can really help just by guiding and Definitely. asking the right questions. And I think, you know, a, a conversation to have with with female clients is really to encourage them to become involved in their own bodies and wellness as well. So tracking, you know, if it is a persistent back pain issue, track it, you know, and is there any correlation, say, with the menstrual cycle and not even just when you're bleeding? You know, for for many women in the second half of their cycle, uh, the luteal phase after they've ovulated. So um, we get progesterone rising, we get a rise in estrogen as well. And so that can actually make the, the ligaments and connective tissue a little bit softer. So the pelvic organs aren't as supported. Plus, we've got the buildup of the lining of the uterus. Plus, in the second half of the menstrual cycle, in that luteal phase, higher levels of progesterone um, make us a bit more prone to constipation. So if you know all these things, you can kind of watch for them. You know, is there a pattern happening here? And if you know, okay, so I'm in kind of week three, week four of my menstrual cycle. Um, what can I do to counteract those things? Okay, so if I know my connective tissue is a little bit more lax, um, but say I want to, you know, I'm, I'm still going to exercise. Can I choose what type of exercise I'm doing during that phase, knowing the effects of progesterone and estrogen on, on the system? If I know I'm a little bit more prone to constipation during that second uh, part of the cycle, what can I do to counteract that? You know, am I eating, you know, lots of different plants every week? You know, the recommendation is that we aim for 30 different plants every week, which sounds like a lot. But, you know, when you break it down, because herbs and spices and nuts and seeds all count. Am I hydrating well? You know, am I practicing a little bit of abdominal massage for my constipation, which incidentally works better for female constipation than it does for male constipation. So at least at least there's one small win there. But teaching somebody abdominal massage for constipation is a really great, gentle way for them to connect with their bodies again. And, you know, let's be honest, a lot of women have kind of strained relationships, maybe with their tummies as well. So this can be a really nice way to introduce some gentle touch that we also know has therapeutic benefits for constipation. And then if we're able to bring a little bit of exercise strategy into the mix as well, because for me, the golden combination is manual therapy followed by movement. Um, that really kind of cements the learning. Um, we want to think about, well, if we know the connective tissues a little bit softer, um, maybe we don't want to do kind of sumo squats in that phase, in that, that luteal phase. Do we still want to do, you know, strength training? Absolutely. Um, because, you know, that higher level of estrogen that we get in the luteal phase, along with the progesterone, means that we still want to do some strength training, but maybe not wide, deep squats if our connective tissue is a little bit softer, you know. So putting all these different little aspects of the differences in female physiology is really empowering, particularly if you're working with female athletes, teaching them how to track their cycles, you know, knowing that maybe strength training fantastic in the first half, that follicular phase of the cycle when estrogen is, is at its highest. When we're ovulating, 
Um, so estrogen goes high just before ovulation and then drops. That's actually the time for, for good neuromuscular work um, and getting that coordination. And then the second half, the luteal phase, we've got estrogen rising again, but it's when we have peak progesterone. That's going to be great. Again, a little bit of strength training, but also endurance work as well. But bear in mind, again, progesterone does like to make you a bit constipated. So just to have all these things. And then right, you know, at if we're not pregnant and we start bleeding, a lot of people can get period poos, they're called, because our hormone levels just drop um, and we might have some prostaglandins and that can really predispose us towards some, some diarrhea. So again, if you were an athlete or a runner, you might want to think, well, is that a great time to be doing my endurance run? Possibly not, because, you know, we're, we're all, if you've worked with runners, you'll be familiar with, with things like runner's trots. So really tuning into the differences, and it's not going to be one size fits all. It's very much, you know, I, I love to talk about the research, but I also strongly emphasize the importance of doing me search, what works for my body and my situation, and tuning into yourself. And I think tracking can be such a really lovely way of, of doing that. So track any aches or pains, track your menstrual cycle, track your sleep, uh, track any bladder leakage that you might be having. And how does that build a big picture of what's going on with you overall health-wise? Very powerful. Again, so much information there. Um, what are particularly, from a personal point of view, very interested in the, the links between what type of exercise to do at certain times in, in, in the month? So what course would that be covered on if, if we've got sports therapists who are working with athletic population and they love the idea of that what course of yours would that tie in? so that's all in the female hormonal health course Brilliant. that's so powerful um yeah because i think still these days i'm not sure how much coaches running coaches and team coaches are really keeping an eye on the on, on, the, on the monthly cycles of their athletes. Yeah, they're putting in the races. Is it yeah. getting better? It, 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 well, you know what? I think I just posted a, a story on my Instagram yesterday. Um, am I allowed to mention the rugby yet? Is it, is it safe? If you can with me, I'm a runner. I'm really nice. <laughs> chasing balls. <laughs> <laughs> so the Irish, the Irish women's rugby team have just announced that they're changing the uniform to navy shorts because of players' concerns about menstrual health. Because, you know, who wants to be, you know, they're, they're worried they're going yeah. to get their period and they're wearing white shorts. Yeah. It's a huge distraction mentally from your sporting performance. Gosh. So just simple things like that, you know, it, you know, can really make the world of difference. But we also, we see the importance of tracking menstrual health, particularly in our younger female athletes, but I would actually say also in our postnatal and perimenopausal athletes of tracking the menstrual cycle as a great indication of, of, you know, things like red S, you know, low energy availability, because we talk about how the period is your fifth vital sign, um, you know, after respiratory and blood pressure. Um, and when you stop having periods, that's a big red flag for, for low energy availability. And that's when we really need to start looking at nutrition and performance, because it's not it's not a badge of honor to be exercising so hard that you, you stop having your period. It's actually a sign of, of endocrine dysfunction and the effects while short term, yeah, might give you a little bit of a, of a bump. Um, in the medium to long term, you start losing your focus, foggy thinking, precision goes out the window, as well as the downstream effects on, on pretty much every body system, 
even things like developing bone stress, stress fractures, you know, that can really be career limiting, if not career ending for some athletes. So I think just normalizing the conversation around periods is is a really great place to start. And I think just in the past couple of years, there's been a huge amount of progress, but, you know, there's always more we can do. Definitely. Uh, that's amazing. So much great information for anybody out there who's working with female athletes to form such a valuable part of that chain. Um, I've got some questions coming up here. I've got loads of questions coming in, so I'm going to work through these. That's okay. Let's go back to the beginning, though, because those are just on there from... Where's Leslie? Here we go. This goes back to the uh, tone of pelvic floor muscles. So Leslie Campbell, thanks for your question. Leslie says, Michelle, as a massage therapist, what are the indicators of a high tone pelvic floor? Without internal examination, how do you know they are not releasing their pelvic floor? That is such a brilliant question. Okay. So two parts, two parts to that. Um, first of all, pain would be, you know, any pelvic pain for me, ding, 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 start, you know, the red flag start going off. If they're having pain with urination, pain with their bowel movements, pain with sex, low back pain. Um, again, I'm going to be very suspicious of overactive high tone pelvic floor. Um, if they're having difficulty getting started, like they feel like they have an urge to, to empty their bladder or have a bowel movement and they sit down on the loo and they can't get started. You know, they have a little, a little dribble and then it stops and then a little dribble and it stops constipation we know that the two big drivers of constipation are slow transit through the bowel but overactive pelvic floor muscles without internal examination how do we know that they are not releasing their pelvic floor well here is the other advantage of the female pelvic floor we have a couple of different papers showing that the coccyx externally palpating the coccyx is a reliable indicator of what's happening with female pelvic floor contraction and relaxation. So if you are the owner of a female coccyx, I am going to invite you to palpate it externally, you know, through your clothes at the moment. So put your hand on your sacrum and then just track down so you're just near the tip of your coccyx. So north of your anus, you don't go anywhere internally here okay you do this through clothes this is what i teach every person that i see with back pain every female that i see with back pain okay so if you're palpating that cock i'm gonna have to have a go i'm gonna have to have a go as well go I can't go it, Matt, this. i'm just yeah okay, you one of us tonight thank you okay now it may work for male pelvic floors but the research shows that it's particular for female pelvic floor contraction okay so you're all palpating your coccyx okay now take a deep breath in Exhale, relax. Okay, relax your pelvic floor. Take another breath in. And this time, as you exhale, close your anus like you're trying to stop yourself passing gas and lift the pelvic floor up and in. And what you should feel is the pelvic floor or the coccyx, excuse me, moving up and forwards towards the pubic symphysis. Now, you should still be able to breathe at this point. And then when you relax and let go of the pelvic floor, you should feel the coccyx moving back down again. Now, it's a small movement. It's about 10 degrees, but there should be a palpable difference of, you, of the coccyx moving up and forwards as you squeeze the pelvic floor. And then feeling the coccyx come back down a little bit as you relax the pelvic floor. How did that work? Nikki feels it. <laughs> 
I'm just looking at the comments here. Did you feel it, Matt? Oh, it's paradelia. I'm not sure. I think so, but I don't know. I don't know because I really wanted to feel it, but I could. Yeah, I think so. Okay. But I'd have to check. Okay. I'll try my wife later on and won't tell her what I'm looking for. And um, we'll see. Nikki Mansfield says, "I feel it. I feel it." Um, so it's practice. Okay. It's practice okay. with that. But we have a couple of different studies showing that for for females, it's a good indicator. Leslie felt it too. Hooray! So that's something that I think you know we could all practice. Particularly if you notice that you're carrying a lot of tension in the lower back, is that sensation of the tension in the lower back actually being driven by tension in the pelvic floor and is checking in with the coccyx with, you know, just that little bit of proprioceptive input around that posterior pelvic floor, because almost all the deep muscles of the pelvic floor are attached to the coccyx. We've got pubococcygeus, iliococcygeus, and then the muscle that we used to call ischiococcygeus, we now just call it coccygeus. They're all attached to the coccyx. So by tuning into the movement of the coccyx and getting that coordination with the breath, but most importantly with the brain, we can start to feel, am I holding everything like this or can I let it go? And just practicing, just dropping the pelvic floor a couple of times, you know, a day, um, because I think we don't realize how much tension we actually carry down there. It's a very psychologically responsive part of our body. If we're under, if our brain is anticipating any sort of fear or anxiety or threat, before we blink, before we move away, the pelvic floor tightens up and the upper traps tighten. Those are our stress response muscles. And sometimes the brain forgets to switch them off after the threat has passed. So just bringing the breath back down to the pelvic floor, letting that go um, can really be a game changer in terms of back pain. So just to check, I'm still thinking about that. Let uh, it go, that, Matt. Um, let it go. Of my coccyx. <laughs> I have let it go. Look, my hands are here, honestly. But um, oh, it was a metaphor. No, but the idea is if you can't feel that shift, that change, then maybe yes. it's because it's you're holding it up the whole time because exactly. the pelvic floor muscles are right. Got you. So if the, you know, again, kind of, you know, it's, it's by itself, it's only one time, but if we're looking, if we get a cluster of, you can't feel the coccyx move, they've got lumbopelvic pain cool. and yeah. maybe they've got things like constipation or, you know, bladder control issues. Then that for me is a sign that, you know, maybe we need to, to get a good pelvic physio on board to go for like a, a complete exam, an internal, external exam, and then work together to come up with a rehab strategy. I think, I mean, in all honesty, I think any, well not, a lot of the time, this, like you said, getting in touch with your own body, um, looking for that internal connection can be really beneficial. Um, it's just a moment where you do kind of get into contact with, you know, and it's just, oh, I love these sort of exercises. I think they're wonderful. So, yeah, great advice. And, and everyone in the room is absolutely still doing that. I can tell, celebrating it. You can stop now, ladies. Thank you. Hands back on the table. Thank you very much. Great, great question. So, um, actually, I'm a little bit disappointed. Hold on, I've got to do a check tonight. This is really poor. This is the case. Glenn's in here. Thank you, Glenn. But, oh, Gary's here. Just Glenn and G Gary. Is that it? I think we've got about 12, 13, 14. Oh, dear, man, 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 man. This is part of the problem, isn't it? 
two men and about 20 women in here listening. That's a bit disappointing. STA members, there will be something in the next newsletter, guys. Slip me down a bit there. Anyway, <coughs> we will move on from that. A little bit disappointing. Must be football on tonight. Just oh. to going, honestly. Anyway, right, let's have a look. It doesn't matter because we're getting quality questions um, and maybe the guys will just watch the recording. Let's have a little bit. There's some other good questions here. Um, let me just scroll down a sec. All I've got now is loads of things about just touching coccyx. Oh, here we go. Here we are. Thanks. Same as sports massage therapy. Does the psoas come into play with pelvic floor inability to release? Am I wrong to think the psoas is linked to diaphragmatic release, which then helps with pelvic floor relaxation? I don't think there's any muscle group that is as storied as the psoas. Um, I would say that everything that we think about psoas is probably true about the pelvic floor and maybe not so much about psoas. It's a super important set of muscles, you know, because it's interdigitating with the diaphragm. It's actually a huge contributor to, to lumbar mobility and movement because it's coming right down and attaching into those lumbar vertebrae down as far as L3. And then those slips are coming down. They're interdigitating with pubococcygeus, so deep in the pelvic floor before coming out and inserting into the lesser trochanter. So we, we do talk a lot about um, the psoas as a stress response muscle. What the research shows is that the pelvic floor and the upper traps are more so than psoas. But we do know if, if you know, if somebody was coming along, Matt, and, and they were making shapes like they were going to punch you in the stomach, automatically you would draw your knee up to, to protect your, your, your belly. Because, you know, if you get injured there, that is potentially life-threatening. You know, if somebody breaks your leg, you're probably going to survive. So we do draw our knees into, into our chest and into our bellies to protect when we do feel threatened or scared. Although I am fairly pelvic floor obsessive, my approach when working with real life humans is actually to look at the whole person. So for me, psoas is a really important part of the posterior abdominal wall, um, particularly when it comes to postnatal rehab. And oftentimes I think what we want to think about with psoas is when sometimes we might feel that it needs stretching, what it's actually crying out for is a little bit of strength work. Um, and then big picture, what can we do to, to restore confident, safe movement from both a top-down and a bottom-up approach to this part of the body? You know, are we, are we just getting into the habit of keeping those hip flexors tightened up with the pelvic floor as part of our automatic stress response, even after the threat has passed? Is it just habit at this point? And what can we do to create some space? Interestingly, what we, you know, we know that the glutes, particularly glute max and the deep hip rotators, particularly obturator internus, they actually facilitate pelvic floor muscle contractions. And if you actually think about that relationship then between the glutes and psoas, as well, it makes sense that healthy, strong glute maxes 
are going to be supportive for that whole posterior abdominal wall as well. But particularly for women, we want to make sure we've got good hip extension, abduction, and definitely rotation. And are we using the, you know, making sure that we're using the glutes and we're not asking muscles like psoas or like the pelvic floor to do the work of the glutes? Does that make sense? does indeed. Okay. Yeah, definitely. And a great question then, and definitely one I think that's worth bringing attention to because traditionally in sports massage and, and uh, sports therapy, a lot of attention is given to the hip flexors and stretching the hip flexor. Um, and we've got kind of, I mean, it's probably still one of the biggest, the hip flexor test, which although that's been kind of shown, doesn't necessarily reflect what's happening dynamically. We still love to put people at the end of a couch and see whether one leg goes lower than the other. And and it's something which, I mean, it reminds me of James Noke, physio on Twitter, his catchphrases, it's never the hip flexor, um, because it is overdone a little bit. But also we had Solly, Holly Sopadora who was talking about um, hip dysplasia in episode 132. Yep. And she repeated that mantra a little bit because often we get ladies who are suffering from that. And, and again, the, the therapist will go in with, I'm going to release your hip flexor. And not just because they were taught that on the course. And often, you know, if you've only got a box full of hammers and you're going to kind of use your hammer. But when really, like you say, Michelle, it's a case of, hold on, maybe this needs strengthening and not stretching. We go in and think, stretch the hell out of it. But often it's, it can be the opposite. So we have to watch out for that, people. So all this psoas release stuff. Um, I'm not saying there's never a time for it, but it is, as you said, what did you say? It's storied, what did you say? Yeah, there's a, there's, I just think there's a lot of mythology yeah. around it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? And, it's um, interesting you know, as well because, I mean, you yeah. started off and you said, and it was interesting, you said like the, um, the relationship between stress and anxiety and all that sort of stuff. And I think that that's obviously so true, but it gets distorted and the pendulum swings too far. Where I've heard therapists still being taught that, you know, if somebody's got a tight hip flexor, ask how their birth was when their mother had them or something, because a lot of emotion is stored in that muscle. And it just goes over the top a little bit. And it takes us out of that kind of how are we supposed to help allied health professionals if we're kind of saying things like that? It just puts you if that's how you want to run your business, that's fine. And you can link it with other businesses which kind of do that stuff as well. But yeah. if you really want to work in the health care kind of thing, then yeah, you've got to follow the evidence a little bit. More. Show me the evidence. A little bit, yeah. So I'm not gonna go as far to say it's never the hip flexor, that's far too physio for me to say because I'm a sports <laughs> therapist. But my pendulum swings a little bit towards that that hashtag. Um, anyway, so yeah. yeah. You know, and again, I, I'm I'm a big believer in in strong beliefs loosely held. So I am That's open nice. to new research coming coming along. Um, but for me, it's it's about kind of you know it's about the whole person and how are they moving. And again, particularly from a female lumbopelvic pain perspective. Um, I really think, you know, instead of, and, and, and I said it to you before we started, like, because my, my, I started out in sports uh, medicine, you know, I'd be the first person in there with the elbow in the piriformis. And what we know now is that's possibly not the best way to, to do that. Like, why is the piriformis angry? Why is the pelvic floor muscle, you know, why are they dysfunctional? And, you know, why are we asking them to do the jobs of other muscles? You know, so we can go in and we can release, but unless we're actually solving the problem of, um, you know, maybe a glute max and, and particularly glute med issue um, to really get that that support for the pelvic floor. Because we talk about the pelvic floor muscles, 
But then the pelvic wall muscles, piriformis and obturator internus. And I know I said biopsychosocial and I'm, I'm super bio at the moment. But those pelvic wall muscles are coming from the inside of the pelvis, you know, come piriformis coming off sacrum, obturator internus, obviously sitting on the inside of the of the foramen. Those muscles, particularly in female lumbopelvic pain, are pivotal. And I would say even more so when we're talking about urinary incontinence and even more more so when we're talking about females over the age of 35. So have they got good hip range of motion? Have they got, you know, because we've studies showing that, you know, you look at two groups of women with bladder leakage, they could both have equal pelvic floor muscle strength. Um, but the difference can often be their range of rotation at the hip and the strength of those deep hip rotators um, and, and glute max as well. So we can get very micro, but then we also have to take a step back and, and kind of look at, at what's happening functionally. So yes, the hormones, yes, the muscles, yes, the constipation, yes, the stress, yes, the sleep, yes, the exercise, all of the above. You know, it's, it's life's rich tapestry and we want to be able to zoom in and then zoom back out again and do a little bit of detective work. Does that change anything? Okay. Do we need to look at something else as well? Um, and not get too obsessive about one player um, in the orchestra. Amazing. Lovely. Thank you. Most. Thank you so much. I've only just noticed because people are saying thank you so much that the time has actually got to nine o'clock. I'm sorry for keeping past nine o'clock. So apologies for that. Um, but yeah, thank you so much, Michelle. There's plenty so much more we could have talked about and maybe hopefully at a later date we will go into because there's, there's so much more to talk about. Anytime. But, um, that said, the amount of information you've managed to pack in there now has been incredible. There's a lot for people to take away with them as we said before if people if listeners are interested in developing their knowledge on this topic then i'm just going to bring up the website here again then um you can go to you can go to uh celebrate muliberty um dot com isn't it is a dot com it is dot com and yeah. as michelle says then you're going to populate a blog of uh, what we have talked about tonight. So that'd be yep. one way to uh, see the information. And then also, um, as you mentioned, Michelle, you're kindly giving away a 20% discount on any of your courses, yep. which um, are listed there as well, um, as long as you're an STA member. Okay, just yes. to reiterate that to so any of the angry listeners who do need to be an STA member. <laughs> but hey, there's only two types of people in the world. There's STA members and those who aren't STA members yet. So but it's they wish they were. <laughs> they wish they were, exactly. <laughs> So that's really kind off of you. And um, I, I fully uh, uh, believe that people should consider that. There's no one perfect CPD, but there are kind of gaps in our information. I think women's health is one of them, whether you're a female or a male therapist, there's going to be gaps there. So I expect hopefully to hear lots of people doing these courses. And then maybe if you'd like to come on the show one month, to talk about it, and um, then we welcome that as well on one of our um, first of the month episodes. So um, fantastic news. If you do want details of that discount, then email matt at the sta.co.uk or email gary at the sta.co.uk and we will uh, give you that information. So with the time as it is, Michelle, thank you so much. If people want to follow you, you've already mentioned Instagram, which is a lovely channel there. Um, and on Instagram, you are Michelle Lyons underscore Mooliebrity. All these links will go to the show notes by the top, by the way, people. And I add them to YouTube in about four days when I uh, upload it. 
And the website I've mentioned, um, com. Twitter is um, at ML underscore Mooliebrity. Probably because Michelle Lyons underscore Mooliebrity was just too long, wasn't it? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> that's such a shame. Anyway, and then also on Facebook, you've got a big presence as well. Uh, if you type in Michelle Lyons and then it will come up there. Um, so yeah, loads of um, fountains of information there for you people. Um, next week, we will be continuing our focus on the lower back with the last um, of the episodes. This will be episode three. And we're going to have uh, Rob Bevan and Dave Elliott, hosts of the Back Pain podcast on the show. They've been on before, and they're going to come along and share some interesting case histories. Uh, we did this a little bit of a while ago. Um, actually, it was with Emma Acton and um, Emma Acton and Dr. Sarah Rollins. They came and gave a wonderful buttock pain case history, which happened that day in their clinic. Um, and uh, a lot of people asked us for, let's do that again, because we were sitting down there thinking, what can we, what can it be? So we're going to do a couple of them next week with some uh, interesting uh, lower back pain case history. So I encourage you, if you listen to the podcast, come along to that, bring pen and paper, and maybe you'll be able to practice your um, analysing skills to see what could be going on. Um, but that's all next week. So as far as today goes, thank you once again, Michelle Lyons. Very kind Pleasure. Of Thanks for on. having me. And thank you everyone who joined us live um, and people who listen to the podcast. If you are listening to the podcast, then do us a favour and leave a rating and a review. That helps the good word of our guests like Michelle just appear higher in Google so we can get that good word out there. People in the live lounge, thank you so much. As always, thank you for your great questions. Thank you for your butter clenching and various tests and palpations of coccyx. It's been very interactive tonight. Thanks to Michelle Lyons, so I appreciate that. And hopefully you'll be uh, back next week um, on the Sports Therapy Association YouTube channel at 8 o'clock on a Tuesday. You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy.